welcome to Access, a podcast about abortion. I'm your host, Garnet Henderson, and today I'm bringing you a bonus conversation with Jessica Flom, the director of the short film Abortion Add to Cart. Abortion Add to Cart is a documentary about self-managed abortion, telemedicine, and the increasing availability of abortion pills online. Jessica made this film before the Supreme Court overturned Roe, and we also recorded our conversation before that happened. But obviously, the film has only become more relevant over the last few months. In fact, I've noticed that the episode of Access that saw the single largest bump in downloads after the Supreme Court overturned Roe was episode three, which is our look at self-managed abortion. So if you haven't listened to that yet, I would suggest scrolling back in your feed and checking out episode three after you listen to my conversation with Jessica. Here it is. My name is Jessica Sarah Flom, and I'm a filmmaker and the director of Abortion at Descartes. Great. And tell me a little bit about your work and how you came to be interested in the topic of self-managed abortion. I've been working in the entertainment industry for a number of years now. Um, right before I started working on this film, I was primarily working in development of film and television. Um, and I love doing that work, but the one thing that's not as fun about it is that you really don't get to um, work on a project from start to finish. You develop it, you sell it, and then it goes off and it's someone else's now. So uh, that really motivated me to want to direct something and really be in control of the creative process from start to finish and develop something all the way until post-production and release. Um, I've always loved documentary filmmaking, um, and so it felt like something I could naturally step into. I also studied political science um, in college. So it felt like something that uh, would align with a lot of my passions. Um, so I was just kind of had my eyes out for stories um, and was looking at articles and just thinking about things that I saw around me as, oh, would this be a good documentary idea? Would this be a good documentary idea? But I had found a couple of things, but nothing that really stood out to me is I need to make this. Um, and I was scrolling through Facebook one day um, and I found an article about self-managed abortion. And it was specifically about Dr. Rebecca Gompertz, who's actually featured in our film. And it blew my mind because I had no idea any of this was happening. And truthfully, I thought I was pretty up to date on abortion politics in the United States. It was something that I was really passionate about, something that I followed very closely. And yet I, I had no idea what 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 this was and what self-managed abortion even was. Um, and so it was, it really intrigued me. And the more I read about it, the more I got excited about it and really also was intrigued by um, how hopeful it made me in a way that fighting for abortion rights doesn't always feel hopeful. Unfortunately, sometimes it feels like a losing battle, especially now. Um, and so the fact that people were really taking um, you know, abortion into their own hands and finding ways to safely terminate their pregnancies felt like a really exciting opportunity to me. Um, and so that's how I got started developing this project um, in February of 2020. So right before uh, we, what we all know <laughs> happened in March of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
It's funny because the timeline was kind of similar for me in developing um, the podcast, although I was starting to work on it in 2019 and starting to figure out what I wanted to do. Did I want to try and produce it independently? Did I want to pitch it to like a podcast company or distribution network? And I was kind of figuring all of that out when the pandemic hit. And so that really changed my plan for the podcast. Initially, I had hoped to travel interview people in person, actually be inside clinics and wasn't able to do any of that, um, at least for, you know, the first year. And really even I would say like the first year and a half I was producing the podcast. And so tell me a little bit about the logistical challenges that the pandemic introduced into your filmmaking. You know, we were lucky in the beginning because I really didn't have much developed yet. So when we first shut down, I was able to really just put my head down. A lot of the other distractions of the world were gone and I was able to really focus on developing it. I was doing phone interviews with people just as research, um, identifying possible subjects, um, all that stuff I was able to do remotely. So that in a weird way was a great opportunity because everyone had kind of uh, stopped moving, you know, and they had the time to take my call or they were looking at their email and, you know, trying to find something interesting to do besides, you know, the same things that we were doing during quarantine. So mm -hmm. it did provide me kind of a unique opportunity. Um, however, after that, things got really challenging. <laughs> Um, so, you know, after we had developed, we, uh, you know, figured out that we were going to have to make some pretty specific changes to our filmmaking as all filmmakers really had to do during the pandemic. Um, we're lucky that with documentary, you don't need that many people on set. That was one of our biggest assets is that, you know, we really could do this with four people in a room. Um, and that was really necessary during the pandemic. Um, we ended up doing our first interviews after, you know, things had quieted down a little bit more. Um, it was in October of 2020, um, where I would say things were starting, people were starting to understand, you know, what helped and, and hurt and, and prevented uh, COVID from spreading and didn't prevent COVID from spreading. And so, um, you know, we did a lot of testing protocols. It actually forced us to be uh, very intimate in our storytelling. We were mostly in people's houses, which was really interesting. And I actually ended up loving that because I felt like it really reflected what self-managed abortion really is, which is often in people's homes. Um, and so we don't have a ton of clinical scenes, although we do have a couple, but a lot of it, even the experts are in their own homes. Um, and so it provided a really interesting perspective. I think it really humanized people, which was really cool. Um, and just was something that I don't think I would have even thought to do if uh, we weren't forced to do it in a way. Um, we also utilized some virtual filmmaking um, techniques for some, um, some subjects who weren't comfortable uh, being in person, which we totally understood. Um, this was everything from, we did a Zoom interview with Dr. Gompertz, who uh, lives in the Netherlands. Um, we also sent filmmaking equipment to a couple subjects who would set it up and have a mic and we would be able to monitor virtually and, and be able to film like that. And I will say some of them, I don't think you can really even tell that they're, they're virtual, which is pretty cool. Um, but it was definitely a challenge navigating that and it, it constantly changed our protocols. Um, luckily for one of our biggest trips, um, it was right when vaccinations were starting to become more widespread. So a lot of us were vaccinated um, and that was uh, 
really made us feel so much better. And uh, we were able to, to feel more comfortable uh, filming, but we still kept it to really small crews and really isolated environments and really intimate spaces, which was interesting. Yeah. I noticed that a lot of the subjects were in their homes and I really appreciated that too, because I think, like you said, it really humanizes them. And I appreciated also that um, the people in the film who talk about their own experiences of self-managing abortion, you also gave them an opportunity to just talk a little bit about themselves um, so that we get a sense of who they are as people, which I really enjoyed. And that's something that I try to do in the podcast too, is to let people be people and not just a story about abortion that's just kind of divorced from their own personal experiences and circumstances. Absolutely. Um, I remember we were actually talking to one subject and we were talking about how we only had two, I would say, uh, abortion storytellers, although some people talk about their own abortions, but um, are two specific storytellers about self-managed abortion in the documentary. And we had one subject asking us, well, do you feel like having so few storytellers um, makes it seem like the experience is, uh, you know, one note, it's not um, diverse. And I definitely understood what she was, was saying, but I guess the way I always envisioned it was it really allowed us the time to be able to get to know those storytellers and not just jump right into their abortion stories, but be able to know them as people, understand their environment, understand their circumstances, understand their histories. And that was just not something we were going to be able to do if we had 10 different storytellers in 30 minutes. Um, And so we really instead just dug down into those two storytellers um, to be able to really understand who they were as people. And in the end, I, I do love films that have a lot of different perspectives. I think it's important, obviously, but we were never saying that these people's experiences are the only experiences. We were just saying that these are some experiences and, you know, if you want the opportunity, like come see them. Mm-hmm. And because there is a risk of criminalization when it comes to self-managed abortion, tell me a little bit about how you talked with the storytellers about, you know, what they were comfortable with and um, managing their own risk. Yeah. Um, Our two storytellers, Alice and Ari, um, they have really different stories and they also had really different approaches and different personalities, I guess you could say. Um, But, you know, the ethics surrounding filmmaking with something like this, it's not black and white. Um, There's a lot of gray area. And we were definitely always forced to weigh um, the needs of the story with the safety and well-being of our storytellers, which the latter is the most important. Um, We started um, by talking to If One How, who is in the film and also uh, works uh, in lawyering for reproductive justice, justice specifically um, with self-managed abortion. And uh, they actually gave us... um, this kind of uh, list of do's and don'ts when interviewing people about self-managed abortion. And it really uh, gave us this kind of baseline of the protections that we wanted to put in place to make sure that our storytellers were protected um, against possible criminalization. So some of that is we don't use their real names. Um, we We don't talk about the locations that they're in. I mean, you can, even in the film, you see that there's um, exterior shots of the uh, storytellers' houses. Those were filmed in 
different states than even that they lived in. Um, we don't talk about the week that they terminated their pregnancies in. Um, and uh, there were a couple other things uh, to make sure that, you know, there's just not a ton of identifying information out there about them. Um, after we had those kind of basics that we knew we were going to follow for everyone. Um, that was then when we had the conversations with the storytellers themselves and um, said, you know, these are the protections that we definitely want to put in place. What do you want in place to make you feel comfortable enough to tell your story? Um, Alice was willing to go on camera. That's something that Ari wasn't willing to do. And it totally makes sense. They're in different circumstances. They come from different backgrounds and we all know that the risk of criminalization does not fall on everyone equally. And so Alice felt comfortable uh, going on camera and using her face. And for Ari, we were really lucky to be able to uh, use an actor uh, to portray their story. And honestly, it was a really beautiful experience to be able to um, talk with Ari and cast someone who they felt represented them and could tell their story the best. Um, it was a very collaborative casting process. And um, I will say Mel, who is the actor for Ari, really did a phenomenal job. And um, I, I think a lot of people don't realize it's it's an actor until later when we, when we actually say it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I thought it was an amazing performance. It seemed so natural. <laughs> yeah, we were super lucky. And honestly, we didn't at first anticipate doing it that way. We had originally um, recorded Ari's story um, directly with their voice. Um, and we were planning on using that and then using Mel as more of the, the body to the, to the voice. Um, but Mel did such a great job that we decided to get the alternate just in case. And we ended up really loving it. So we went in that direction. And um, I think it, it it was a really uh, cool opportunity. And I'm glad we did it that way. Mm -hmm. There were also a lot of changes in terms of policy as you were working on this film. The FDA uh, at first temporarily suspended the REMS requirements and then they permanently suspended the in-person requirements. I thought you did a really nice job of introducing that Um during the film of kind of giving background first so people understand self-managed abortion, understand the different barriers um, to it, especially in the United States um, because of overregulation, and then introducing some of those changes that happened. So tell me a little bit about how you figured out how to deal with that, because that was happening as you were making the film. Yeah, documentary filmmaking, especially on a hot topic like this, is not always easy. There are things that are constantly changing. Um, I remember, for example, when we interviewed Elisa Wells, she was able to speak about the temporary, um, uh, when they took away the, the um, restriction on mifepristone and it was able to be mailed. And then I remember when we spoke to Dr. Shaw. Uh, it had been put back in place by the Trump administration. And so there was a lot of uh, flip-flopping. Um, and so we, we tried our best to keep it consistent and, you know, had to sometimes take parts out of people if we were at a different point in our story um, to try to keep it feeling like it flowed. Um, but yeah, we did. We tried to start at the beginning of the story a little bit. Um, 
because Alice, for example, and, and Plan C, the women at Plan C, um, you know, they started their work before all this was even being talked about before COVID was happening. So we really tried to start at the beginning of their journeys. Um, and then it was able to take us through all the way to the pandemic and, and the changes that were being made. Um, and we tried our best to keep it chronological and make it make sense and use some, some cards with text to be able to talk about the changes. Um, but that was always something that we wanted to include with everything changing so rapidly. Like I said, I started this right before the pandemic, but once the pandemic happened, we realized that this, this space is, is, uh, a fastly changing and we needed to respond to that and integrate it into the story rather than shut it out because it feels complicated. Um, and so I'm happy to say that I think we, we tried to, to show that journey. And I mean, even now it's a little outdated. I mean, when you watch the film, especially depending on what happens with, with Roe v. Wade um, this summer, um, I was thinking about, it. I was like, wow, we, we just finished the film and all of a sudden it's the landscape's going to look so different, but I think there's still a lot of value to, uh, to glean from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are only going to be more people who are self-managing their abortions now, so it's going to be relevant, um, more than ever before, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I was thinking, I mean, one of the things that stood out to me is, um, the film opens with a montage of different clips of newscasters and lawmakers talking about abortion, um, where you can see how the debate has kind of changed but remained throughout the years. Um, and the first clip is a newscast about the decision in Roe versus Wade from 1973, talking about how the Supreme Court has ruled that abortion should be a decision between a woman and her doctor. Right. That was the framing of that decision. That was the kind of popular language at the time. And I've heard a lot of pushback on the paternalism of that recently, rightfully so. And so I was thinking about that. And then a lot of your interviewees basically make that point right at the top of the film that one of the things that's so radical about self-managed abortion is that it really puts the power in the hand of the individual. And so I really appreciated uh, that you started there. Yeah, it it was interesting because um, in some of the first cuts of the film, we jumped right to Alice and um, because that's who I wanted to focus on, our storytellers, our people on the ground. Um, and I think we got a note at one point that there wasn't enough context. And I think to every, to the to people like us who work in this space a lot and are really up to date on abortion rights, we don't need context. We know exactly what's going on. We know about the you know constant attack on abortion rights by lawmakers, but the reality is not everyone follows it this closely. It's not an issue that maybe is top of mind for everyone every day. And so we ended up putting in those clips to provide a little context um, about, you know, when from 1973 up until now, um, what's really been happening and and why this has become such a hot button issue. But I think especially with that monologue, we we really wanted to highlight how um, 
how crazy the uh, conversations have become, how overwhelming they've become. And um, at the very end of that uh, segment, you have someone just typing into their uh, computer about how to find abortion pills. And that moment was really about someone ignoring all the noise and taking it into their own hands and shutting out that, that noise because it doesn't matter about for their own lives. Um, and the decisions that they make about their bodies. Um, so that was kind of our attempt to provide that political context. Um, you know, we don't have any lawmakers in the film specifically as guests. Um, I would say that was definitely definitely a purposeful choice. I mean, we really wanted to highlight the people that are on the ground. And while we completely understand there are so many lawmakers fighting for, you know, our right to choose and, uh, doing amazing work. And, and the reality is um, uh, lawmakers have a substantial impact in the way we access abortion. Um, they're, you know, they're not the experts. They're not the people that are working in that space every day. And so it felt more important to highlight those voices. In addition, um, self-managed abortion is often done outside of a regulated um, system or regulated environment. So I would say lawmakers can often be even more out of touch about self-managed abortion specifically rather than just abortion itself. Um, I think the other thing is that not everyone is actually willing to talk about self-managed abortion. We definitely ran into um, people, you know, just not willing to speak on it. It's a controversial issue. Um, and so we respected that and we understood that. Um, and we really applauded the doctors and providers and um, activists in our film who were willing to talk about it and, and, and um, are, have been working in this space for a while. But it's not something that even within the reproductive rights movement is totally accepted by everyone. Um, I would say that's definitely changing, especially in the last maybe nine months as a post-Roe world is uh, impending. But um, we definitely did receive some pushback in terms of, you know, people just not willing to participate in the film because of that. And, you know, that totally makes sense. And we respect that. But we're really lucky to have the people that we did. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated that some of your interviewees in particular, I'm thinking about Renee Bracey Sherman, who's the founder of We Testify, Jamila Parrott of Physicians for Reproductive Health. Um, who really emphasized that self-managed abortion is actually not new at all, even though it's a new concept to a lot of people, and that it's something that really exists because of uh, women of color activists who, uh, first of all, figured it out <laughs> and then uh, really worked hard to make it available long before it was ever, you know, an FDA-approved medication. Absolutely. I mean, we know uh, throughout history that people have been having self-managed abortions since people could get pregnant. And that has encompassed a lot of different methods. Um, as you said, many of them, you know, led by uh, women of color. Um, you know, the other thing that we highlight that I found so interesting was um, how mesoprostol uh, and its properties to terminate pregnancy were discovered um, through Brazilian activists. Um, and that's something that I think gets lost in the conversation, but something that uh, our subjects constantly were highlighting. Everyone who we asked about, you know, kind of the history of the abortion pills and how this method came to be 
we're always talking about the Brazilian activists um, who were able to, to discover that power of uh, misoprostol. And so we were really lucky. I think that that I didn't even realize that some people didn't put that as part of the narrative because that's all I was hearing from my subjects. Um, but it was really incredible to highlight that. And I, I agree. I think Renee does a fantastic job of, you know, this is, this has a long history. Um, self-managed abortion with pills is a short part of that history, but it's, you know, one of the methods that's used most right now today. Um, and I, I feel like we are really lucky to to have that method because um, the, the accessibility is just booming from that. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you learned while making the film that really surprised you? I think my definition of pro-choice really changed um, throughout the process. Uh, I think pro-choice doesn't just mean the choice to have or not have an abortion. I think it's really about what that abortion looks like. And, you know, with the current restrictions, especially in in more conservative states, um, you know, you really don't get a choice of what your abortion looks like. It's really prescribed for you. And um, I think when we talk about fighting for reproductive rights, I think that's an element that maybe is sometimes forgotten, but is so, so important and even more important now. the other thing I really found fascinating and I'm really grateful uh, that this project did for me, um, you know, I didn't, it's embarrassing to say I didn't know anyone who had had an abortion personally before when, it, when I started this film. Um, no one had ever told me that they had had an abortion. And now after I've completed this film, I know a lot of people personally who have had abortions and it's such a beautiful thing to have uh, someone trust you to, to be able to tell you that. And it really showed me that, you know, the, the, it, this space requires a lot of trust. And when you do put in the work, when you do make yourself open to those stories, when you do, you know, uh, provide a space for them to be told, people want to talk about it um, and people will talk about it. And it's just amazing that uh, I feel like the world has really opened up to me before my eyes. Um, and I think that's an opportunity that not everyone gets because it isn't something that would necessarily be brought up just casually, or even with people who have been close friends and family members for, for a long time, it's, it's not something that's always disclosed. Um, but through this process, I feel like, um, I've, provided that space for people to open up and some people have taken it and that's really exciting. And, um, I'm super honored to, to like be able to hold those stories. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want to add? Anything I haven't asked you that I should have? Um, not that you haven't asked me, but I guess I would say that, you know, the, this information when I started this two years ago, felt really urgent. And um, it's only gotten more urgent. Um, Self-managed abortion can never be the only option. It shouldn't be the only option. People need in-clinic access, um, number one, because some pregnancies require it, but number two, because people should always be able to choose if that's their preference. Um, That being said, I do know that self-managed abortion is gonna become very important. And this information does need to get out there. Um, And so 
I guess I would just say for anyone who's not familiar with it, not familiar with the process, just like I was two years ago, not familiar with any of this, definitely go out and research and and learn more about it. Um, It's an incredible opportunity. It really combines um, two powerful technologies, the internet and abortion pills um, that simply cannot be stopped. And I am really determined and hopeful that I, that this information can get to those who need it. Abortion Add to Cart is screening now at the Portland Film Festival, virtually and in person, and at other festivals coming up. To find out where to watch or to host a screening, visit abortionaddtocart.com. Access is produced by me, Garnet Henderson. Our logo is by Kate Ryan, and our theme music is by Lily Sloan. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Remember, Access is an independent production. You can support the show by donating or buying merch, or best of all, you can share the show with a friend. All those links are in the notes. Please subscribe to Access wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AccessPod and find a transcript on our website, apodcastaboutabortion.com.